Alrighty. We are in part four of our series called Oh Church Arise. If you haven't uh, been with us thus far, you can get, catch up on our church website, castlerockadventist.church slash sermons is where our sermon podcast is. But this is part four of our series, Oh Church Arise. And really what we're doing is we're looking through the book of Acts to, to find those stories where God actually calls people to arise, where God calls people to step up, to act upon uh, fulfilling his plan and mission. And so we're hoping to find ways that God may be calling not just people back then in the book of Acts, but God may be calling us today, his church, you and I, uh, to, to step up, to arise and go and do and be for his glory. So today we're going to the book of Acts once again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is where we're going. And we're actually going to see two different calls to arise all wrapped up in one story. And it's a story that involves Peter um, and not a lion, although it would be cool, but <laughs> uh, Peter and a man named Cornelius. So when you're there in Acts chapter 10, go ahead and say, I'm there. All right, Acts chapter 10 Beginning in verse 1, before we get to Peter, we're going to kind of get some backstory about this individual named Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says, there was a certain man in, what town does your Bible say? Caesarea? Yeah, okay, that's what mine says. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Okay, we're just going to pause right here because we've, we're given some surface details. One, we're given his name, right? Cornelius. But we're also given some other details about him. He is a centurion, all right? So we're given his rank. But by implication, we're also given his race. Yeah, he is likely Roman, right? Most definitely non-Jewish, right? He is Gentile, okay? We're given these, these surface details about a man named Cornelius who is a centurion. He's a man of influence and relative stature. Caesarea happens to be kind of the headquarters for uh, the Roman garrison. So this may be kind of a hub for uh, Roman leadership, okay? Army leadership there. This is one of those individuals, Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. But then comes verse 2 to finish out this initial description of Cornelius. Verse 2, the Bible says, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God how often? Always. Hold the phone, all right? So we're given a description about a Roman Gentile centurion who leads out in the Roman army. And then in verse 2, we discover that this non-Jewish individual is a devout man who prays to God always. He is other-centered, giving generously, you know, all these things. And he, he doesn't just have this in a private corner of his life. No, he believes with all his household. This is pretty impressive. I mean, when you're reading this, verse 1's description doesn't naturally set you up for verse 2's description. Do you follow that? And that's kind of a foreshadowing here because Acts chapter 10 is going to challenge the way we normally think about others who are outside our sphere of influence. All right, so Acts chapter 10, we're, we're going to continue. What else do we know about Cornelius? In verse 3, the Bible says that about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a what? In a vision, an angel of God 
coming and saying to him, Cornelius. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 4, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, this is, again, really, really impressive. What do we know about Cornelius? Well, yeah, we know his race. We know his drink. We also know that he is a devout man who actually pursues a knowledge of God, tries to live for other people and not just for himself. But so far, we're also seeing that this Roman soldier, this centurion, receives heavenly communication. This non-Jew has a direct line with heaven in a way that many of us would wish for but are unfamiliar with. This is amazing. And in verse 5, the story continues. This vision, this, this heavenly message gets even more specific. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Do you know that heaven knows your name? (laughs) Right? I mean, the fact that this angel says, hey, not just mortal, you know, who, (laughs) mere mortal. No, he says Cornelius. And then in the instruction, he's giving instructions about Simon, whose surname is Peter, who is staying with a man named Simon, a tanner, who lives on this street in this town and all this stuff. Heaven knows you by name. Man, we can take great courage in that. Heaven knows us by name. God is working in people's lives. And what's interesting to me is that there is a heavenly message, like this angel tells him, gives him all this information about how to hear more, not from an angel, but from a mere mortal. I mean, if there was really something of importance for Cornelius to hear, don't you think the angel could have just continued onward and said, well, this is really what's going down, Cornelius. What's going on here? The Bible, and specifically the book of Acts, I think makes it extremely clear that heaven's chosen agency to reach people is people. Did you hear that? Heaven's primary means of connecting to people's hearts is by using other people. If you ever think that you are of no use to God, I tell you what, God knows you by name, he knows where you live, and he knows that there are people that only you can reach. (laughs) God uses people to reach people. Cornelius already hears from heaven, and yet the angel tells him to listen to what God commands another person to tell him. It's, it's an amazing story. And so we're going to keep going. Verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. Same word to, as used in verse 2, um, talking about Cornelius. So you kind of get the idea that Cornelius, the centurion who has influence over other soldiers, also has devout soldiers. Like not just reverencing him as a leader, but possibly reverencing and fearing God. All right, verse uh, 7, a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And then verse 8, so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Pretty awesome. Cornelius uses his influence once again. He's responsive to God's instructions. And then verse 9, the, sh- the story shifts now to the experience of Peter. The next day, as they went on their journey, right, the, the people that Cornelius had just sent, the two servants and the one, one other soldier. As they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter 
went up on the housetop to do what? To pray, right? He went up on the rooftop, the housetop, to pray about the sixth hour. I just love the fact that, I mean, maybe this is a, a series for another time where you look through the book of Acts and you discover God's people are praying. And this isn't just a once in a while type of thing. This is their way of life. And the fact is that, that Cornelius prays always. Peter also has these set times of prayer. So prayer is something that really distinguishes God's true followers throughout the book of Acts. And so he goes to the housetop to pray. Maybe it's because, you know, there's no quiet spot in, in uh, the Tanner's house. Or maybe it's because that's actually a really good vantage point. Uh, Joppa, where he is, is actually a seaside uh, city. You know, it's a coastal city. So maybe he has a good view of the sea. Maybe, you know, someone once suggested to me that maybe he's actually looking over the town and interceding for the town, asking God, man, show him how he can reach this town where he's been staying. The story continues, verse 10. Then he, Peter, became very hungry. Man, have you ever had that happen? You're trying to have this quiet time with God, and all you can think about is, I don't know, maybe it's what to eat, what to drink, what to do next, what, you know, all these kinds of things. But what is very interesting about this particular description is not just that he became hungry physically. The word hunger here actually refers to a very intense hunger very intense hunger that's not just used to describe physical cravings, but like in Matthew chapter 5, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It could really reference spiritual cravings as well. But here he is, he's, he's hungry physically, wants to eat, the Bible says in verse 10, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Right? He's going almost into vision here, and in verse 11, he sees something. Verse 11, the Bible says, and he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. Verse 12, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, lions, tigers, porcupines, you name it, right? Wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air, all right? And then in verse 13, a voice comes to him. A voice comes to him. And here is the first arise of the story. Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Oh, church, arise. Kill and eat. What, what, what are we supposed to get out of this? Is this something that is just singular for Peter? Is this something about dietary uh, you know, uh, changes and modifications? When we look at this, Peter initially understands this vision in a literal fashion. He, he's receiving this in a literal fashion, but God actually means it in a spiritual significance. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Peter is not being told to, to eat any unclean thing before God. Let's keep reading the, uh, the, the experience. Verse 14, but Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Verse 15, and a voice spoke to him again the second time. And I don't know if you have a red-letter Bible, but my red-letter Bible actually has this in red letter. It's the voice of Jesus here. Verse 15, a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not what? You must not call common or unholy or unusable before God. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. So here's Peter. He initially takes this whole vision very literally. But later on, later on, Peter understands this very spiritually. Actually, if you just kind of flip a page over to verse 28, 
when he's actually at Cornelius's house the following day. He's explaining to them. He says this in verse 28, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has, what are the next two words right there? God has shown me. He's referring to his vision, right? God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay, so Peter eventually gets it. But in the real time of this vision, he's, he's experiencing all this. He's so confused about this. He's, he says, no, 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 I can't eat those. St- that's, I've never done that. I've, that's all common. That's all unclean. But there is an arise command out of this. This is not about eating whatever we want. Let's, let's, let's just be very clear. In the midpoint of Acts, I mean, this really is kind of the, uh, a significant turning point in the book of Acts. Uh, there's over 60 verses committed to this whole story with the vision and Cornelius and stuff like that. It, it bleeds into chapter 11. Um, this whole story gets retold to Cornelius when Peter is there at Cornelius's house. And then it gets retold to other Jews who are in, interrogating Peter, like, why did you go to a non-Jew's home? And he's explaining all of this. So over 60 verses of Acts are not spent on clarifying dietary laws. Let's be straight about that. But it's clarifying and expanding the reach of God's saving grace. I should not call any man common or unclean. This is what I was shown, Peter says later on in chapter 10, verse 28. And if you look at the, uh, let's see here, chapter 11, verse 18, when he's actually explaining himself to, to other Jews who are so confused and really shocked by what Peter has done. Chapter 11, verse 18. After telling all this story, it says this. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And it took this whole experience, this whole story, to really expand the boundaries of God's saving grace. Okay, let's get back to it. Back, Back to verse 13, because this is the first arise here in this story. Rise, kill and eat. What is it that God may be wanting us to do? Now, what's interesting is that that word kill is not just a matter of taking an animal's life. This is a specific word that has reference to the priestly act of sacrifice. Okay, this is a, a very specific nuance uh, of the, the word that, it, uh, that is describing a priest's act of making an offering upon an altar. So what is Peter being called to do by God in vision? I would say this, he's being called to arise in the sense of fulfilling a priestly function toward what he previously called unclean. Just chew on that for a little bit. Peter is being called to fulfill a priestly function towards what he has previously known as common or unclean. What's the point? Peter is resisting this literally, but God is redirecting him to the spiritual reality of cleansing. God says in verse 15, what God has cleansed, don't call common. What God has purified, what he has done, don't call common. Now, when you look back here in verse 16, the Bible says this was done three times. (laughs) I think God has a unique relationship with Peter. Sometimes he does things with Peter three times over. Have you noticed that? 
I mean, Peter denied him three times. But there was another time where God gave him instruction three times repeated. Do you remember that? It was in John chapter 21, after the resurrection, after the denial, the crucifixion, <laughs> resurrection, you know, all this stuff. Jesus is on the seashore. The, there's another miraculous catch of fish. They bring it to the shore where Jesus already, he's already got breakfast cooking for them. And then around the fireside, around the fireside, Jesus asks him three, I mean, he asks him one question, but he asks it three times. Do you love me? And then he gives him instructions, one instruction, but he does it three times over. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, right? God has a unique relationship with Peter that sometimes, <laughs> that sometimes he, he has to repeat things again and again. And really, it's not just pointing to the uniqueness of God's relationship with Peter. It's pointing to the hardness of his, of his thinking, right? The hardness of his heart. And in verse 17, Peter is still confused. Verse 17, the Bible says now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. In other words, he's, he's totally perplexed. The word itself is not just, oh, I'll think about this. No, he, the word is talking about being so thoroughly perplexed. He's like, he's going through all the possibilities. Uh, he's, he's going through all these things, but he finds no way out, no solution to this. And while he is wondering like this in his heart, the Bible says, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. They called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, again, uh, the, the word there is this intense, passionate um, consideration, almost kind of like a, a weighing things out, uh, almost as if Peter knows what God is trying to explain, but he's like, no, no, can't be, can't be. All right, so here, let's make sure that we understand what Peter had a hard time getting through to his head, okay? Let's make sure we, we, we get what God is really trying to reveal. I think the big idea could be said like this. There is something that Peter has habitually viewed as common. Right? We, we get that. There is something that Peter has habitually viewed as common that God, in fact, has cleansed. Right? We've already kind of looked at what this could possibly be. No, you're not supposed to call any man common or unclean. In other words, God has cleansed. He's made it possible. He's made grace and salvation available, not to animals, but to people, right? This is what Peter was so terribly perplexed by. How could this be? Because he had habitually been in the practice of seeing others that were not like himself as beyond the favor and reach of God. This is pretty intense. And I wonder today, I wonder today how many of us have any resonance with Peter's habit. See, the reality is that God is not talking about cleansing animals. He's talking about cleansing and purifying hearts. In fact, if you flip over to Acts chapter 15, when Peter is referencing this whole experience one more time, except in a more formal setting at the Jerusalem council, Acts chapter 15, I think it's in Oh, is it verse 19? Let me see here. No, 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 no. Acts chapter 15, verse 8 and 9. Here we go. Verses 8 and 9. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay. When he's explaining this whole experience, he says, So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, speaking about Cornelius and all the others in his household, he acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, in verse 9, and made no distinction between us and them 
purifying, it's the same word as cleansing in, in Acts chapter 10, purifying their, what's the next word? Purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying their hearts by faith. So what is it that God has cleansed? What is it that Peter has habitually called common or unclean? He has previously had the tendency of thinking that other people's hearts are beyond the reach, beyond the cleansing power of God. But God is saying, no, no, do not call common what I have already cleansed. Again, the question is, do we have a habit of calling unclean that which God has already cleansed? I mean, do you ever view others and these are heart-searching questions here. Do we ever view others as beyond the reach of God? Or even beyond the care of God? I think God is calling us to rise up, kill and eat, so to speak, right? He's calling us to fulfill a priestly function towards those that maybe we thought of as beyond the reach or care of God. To rise up from a limited and a limiting perspective about what God can do in others' lives, whether it's that unbelieving friend, that really annoying neighbor, that, that, uh, that hardened addict, or who, whoever, you name it, right? That is a precious soul that Jesus has died for. Peter had no idea that there were Gentiles like Cornelius who were prime candidates for the saving grace of God. And I would submit that maybe Peter didn't even care that there were others like Cornelius who were prime candidates for the saving grace of God. So this wasn't, this wasn't an issue of ignorance that he didn't know. This was really a matter of indifference that he didn't even bother to know whether there were genuine seekers for truth among the unclean ranks of humanity. God's call here to kill and eat, what is it? It's a, it's, it's a call for the church to arise, to fulfill a priestly function, a grace-extending mission toward those that we tend to ignore, those we tend to disregard. God, help us arise from our habit of calling unclean that which he has already cleansed. Oh, man, I hope you're hearing this today. But before we, we step into the, the second arise in this story, I want, there's a flip side to this idea. There's a flip side of not calling common what God has already cleansed. And this is a tendency, not just of how we view others' hearts, but I wonder if even more it, it's a tendency of how we view our own hearts. Do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know, maybe, you know, I've had r recent conversations, and I... I uh, Man, what I'm trying to say is this. There are times where we underestimate the power of God's saving grace even over our own lives. You know, and I, I, was, I was in a Bible study scenario, um, you know, someone that we've been studying through uh, lots of things together with over the last year and a half. And the question came up, you know, and, and she prefaced the question, the way, the way that the question was prefaced, it was very humble, you know, like, um, it sounded like this. You know, I know God wants this for us, and then at the same time, I know that we're all, you know, imperfect, that we're all sinners, and that we'll never be, you know, perfect, or we'll never overcome everything, you know, things like that. And I can hear the humility in that, and I, I don't want to dive into, you know, questions about legalism and perfectionism and things like this, but I wonder if in our overabundance of self-distrust, we actually downplay what God can do. Do you hear what I mean by that? 
death. And I think Peter himself addresses this very train of unbelieving thought that sabotages our Christian experience. Go with me to another letter, uh, something that Peter wrote himself, 2 Peter. So hold a, hold a bookmark here in Acts chapter 10. Go to 2 Peter. You need to see this. I thought about putting it on the screen, but I want us to turn there ourselves. 2 Peter chapter 1. This is near the end. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, okay? 2 Peter comes after Hebrews, James. Then you've got First and Second Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And when you're there, say, I'm there. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, notice this. Peter, man, when he opens up this letter, if you haven't read this, go ahead and read this at home. Chapter 1 just is, is awesome. It's, it's exalting God's power, God's grace, you know, that he makes us through the divine promises of God, the exceeding and precious promises. He makes us partakers of the divine nature, all of this. And then starting in verse 5, he says, you know what? If you've got faith, we'll add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and give all diligence to adding and growing and and keeping on progressing in your walk with Jesus. But notice this in verse 9. In verse 9, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, For he who lacks these things, you know, all these things that he was saying to grow in, you know, virtue, uh, brotherly kindness, self-control, all these kinds of things. If you lack these things, you don't just chalk it up to saying, well, I will always be human and I've got nothing. You know, that, that is true. We ought not to put more trust in ourselves than we need to, right? But notice what he says, verse 9, He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was what? Blind. That he was cleansed from his old sins. Peter, <laughs> Peter who had this vision, right? Peter, who knows what it is to blunder and fail and fall flat on his face, he knows the root of not growing in Christ. It's, it's, it's found in a blindness and a short-sightedness of realizing, whoa, I've forgotten something really powerful. I keep calling common what God has already cleansed. And in verse 10, therefore, brethren, even, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, that seems like hyperbole. That seems like it's exaggerating things. But Peter knows what it's like to stumble. <laughs> he knows what it's like to, be get, to get picked up right again by the loving Savior. Peter himself addresses this thought. This sabotages our Christian experience. But he says, you know what? When we lack fruitfulness and growth in our walk with Jesus, God calls us to rise up and cease from our short-sightedness, to refocus on the gospel truth that God has cleansed us from our old lives of sin. Wow. So maybe this first call to arise, this fulfilling a priestly function toward what we previously called unclean, could also be applied to our own hearts. We need to be priests over our own heart to proclaim the gospel over our own lives and say, wait, 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 wait. Don't let me forget that you have already. I love how, you know, verse 9 is already in the past tense, that he, that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, this is power. This is the, the gospel according to Peter. Let's hear it. Let's receive it. Okay? All right, let's go back. Go back to Acts chapter 10. Back to Acts 10. There's another arise that God calls his people to. Acts chapter 10 the story continues, right? Uh, the, the, the servants and the soldier of Cornelius have already arrived at Simon's house. We'll go to verse 18. Acts chapter 10, verse 18. 
The Bible says they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. And in verse 20, here it is. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Again, here's Peter. He's still apparently, even while this is all happening, even while these men are at the door, he's still thinking about all the possible scenarios of, of what God could be doing about this vision or th- what he could be communicating through this vision. It's in this state of heart and mind that the Holy Spirit now speaks to him. I love that. The Holy Spirit speaks to us in our moments of perplexity and confusion. He knows exactly what to say and when we need to hear it. So what does the Spirit say to Peter in all his thinking and all his processing? Arise. Get moving. Okay? Go down. Get on with it. What is, what, what is this all about? This second arise is essentially an appeal to actually live out the word that God has already revealed. Like, Peter, you're thinking a lot about it. You're processing a lot about it. I'm glad you heard me, but now do something about it, right? The appeal is to be not just a hearer of God's word, not just a wonderer, a processor, a thinker, a perplexed wonderer. No, actually be a doer of the word. And when we do arise, what does verse 20 say? Arise, therefore, go down, go with them, doubting nothing. When we do arise, we don't have to keep second guessing. When we do arise, we can throw our doubts aside, all of our back and forths and hesitations and what ifs and reservations, you know, all this kind of stuff. We can throw that aside. When God gives us wisdom from heaven, we can arise. We can move forward. Uh, I just want to ask today, what kinds of things has God made clear to you? You know, uh, Take stock of, of the things that, that God has certainly revealed to you or instructed you about, whether it be on the level of personal decision-making or even ethical decision-making. Maybe it's uh, in terms of life direction or lifestyle changes. Or maybe it's doctrinal convictions, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, um, honoring God's Sabbath or, or doing this or doing that, wh- whatever it might be. The things that God has already made clear to you, already revealed His will to you about. Take stock of those things and ask yourself, am I actually going? Am I actually living out on the revealed Word of God? Or are there loose ends? Are there loose ends, things that we know are God's revealed will for us that we have instead objected about? doubted about and hesitated over. Peter's response in this instance is obedience. Praise the Lord, right? Actually, when you, when you keep reading in verse 21, it says, Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he of whom you speak. Well, for what reason have you come? You know, they explain themselves in verse 22. And it might sound like in verse 23 that Peter is, uh, is kind of taking some time to think on this. Oh, maybe, maybe I should just kind of wait on this. Verse 23, it says, Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them. It might seem like Peter is hesitating, that he's delaying, but I would suggest that the fact that he's inviting them in and actually giving them a place to stay is indication of the fact that he is already living out the very principle that God was trying to communicate to him. He is already letting down those age-old barriers of prejudices, 
Those are being torn down. And the rest of the story, you know, Peter does. He goes with them the next day. He meets Cornelius. He shares the truth with Cornelius and all his friends. Actually, where does it say that in uh, verse 24? I love this. Now Cornelius, this is right in the middle of it. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. (laughs) Cornelius had no doubt in my mind that, or no doubt in his mind, that what God had sent these men on the errand, it was going to be fulfilled. So he's, he's waiting for them. And it says this, he had called together his relatives and close friends. I love that. Cornelius, again, is a man who uses his influence for the glory of God. And what does Paul, or not Paul, what does Peter communicate as he's there, standing before Cornelius shares his side of the story, Peter then shares his side of the story. And you start reading from verses 35 and onward, the, the, the things that Peter communicates to Cornelius, that Cornelius, told by the angel, needed to hear from God. Peter clarifies God's heart. Where is it? In verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Do you hear what's coming out of Peter's mouth? This is not how he thought before. The message of the gospel has blown up in his mind. He is clarifying the heart of God because the heart of God has been clarified to him. Whoa, God does not show partiality. Salvation is for every nation. And then he tells the story of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his coming when he comes in judgment. And then in verse 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him, will receive remission of sins. Ah. Again, this is not the gospel that Peter was accustomed to preaching, but finally it's coming out. Okay, forgiveness, remission of sin, the release of our old life, that is available to everyone who believes, whoever believes. What happens as a result of this? The rest of the story, it's beautiful. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, these words, right? These words of the gospel, these words of the life and death and story of Jesus, these, li- th- these words of the promise that whoever believes in him will r- receive remission of sins. Verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. <laughs> these people are baptized by the Spirit before they're ever baptized by water. And later on, they're like, well, well they've already been baptized by the Spirit. Maybe we should baptize them by water too. <laughs> The results of all this is the baptism of the Spirit, baptism by water. God is at work even among the Gentiles. Why? Simply because an individual arose to the fact that God was calling him to fulfill a priestly function towards those who had previously been called unclean, those he had previously disregarded. It's because he arises to live out the truth that God had sent from heaven that precious souls then hear the gospel, receive the Spirit, and surrender their lives to him in baptism. Amen! Amen! And this all at the heart of the book of Acts. O church, arise, right? O church, arise. This is what God is calling us to. Three simple appeals today. Three simple appeals. If we have a habit of disregarding others, of disregarding ourselves, then let's agree with God and stop calling unclean that which God has already cleansed. How many of you want to arise like that today? Yeah?
Amen. That's an exercise of faith that we need to make every day. The second appeal is this. If we have felt the conviction of God's word about a certain decision or a certain behavior or a certain uh, doctrinal belief or conviction or direction, if we have felt the conviction of God's word about anything in our lives, then, then let's arise from merely thinking about that. Oh, that's a nice thought. <laughs> let's arise from just merely hearing God's word to actually living out God's word. Amen? Yeah. How many of you want to arise and, yeah, I want to be a doer of God's word, not just a hearer of it only. Yeah, amen. And the third appeal, this may not be for everybody, but maybe you are hearing God's word and really sensing the outpouring of God's spirit in your life. You're, you're receiving God's word and you're sensing that God is doing something. Maybe you ought to be baptized as well. Baptism not, should not be forbidden from you, withheld from you. And if that's the case, then let us talk. Whether you're on Zoom, let's talk, let's connect. We are actually having a baptism Sabbath on November 14. We haven't figured out the specific times, but it'll be that afternoon. Uh, the Franktown Church is allowing us to use their baptistry. We've already got two precious baptismal candidates preparing for that over the last year and a half or so. And um, that's going to be November 14. We'll do a little Vespers after that called Pies and Praise and stuff like that, too. Uh, we'll give you more details about that. But if baptism is something that is heavy upon your heart, saying, yeah, you know, I, I want to receive, God, or I have received God's word. I sense God's spirit moving in my life. I want to demonstrate that through the act of baptism, or maybe it's the act of rebaptism. Then let's talk. The Holy Spirit's already talking to you. Let's talk. If November 14 is maybe too rapid of a pace for you, then, hey, we can set up another time. So there's no rush on these things, but the simple appeal is, live out the very convictions that God is putting on your heart. All right. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you <coughs> and that you actually do speak to us exactly what we need to hear and when we need to hear it. God, I pray for the sensitivity of heart to actually listen, but I also pray for the good sense to walk in the truth that you reveal. Father, we give you permission to use us to extend your grace to other people that maybe we have felt were out of reach or even not on the radar. And we also pray that you would give us the capacity to extend grace over ourselves, to proclaim the gospel truth over our own hearts that you have already cleansed. Father, thank you that you are bigger than any of our struggles, that you are bigger than any of our hang-ups, and that there is no end to the infinite saving power of Jesus. So Lord, we want to rise up today. We want to live out the truth that you have settled in our own hearts. We thank you in advance for the ways that you are going to bless others as a result of our own arising. We pray in Jesus' saving and precious name. Let the family say, Amen.